0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Even if you live in the province, you probably haven't thought about the Ontario Liberal Party in a while. Years, probably. In the 2018 election, the party, well, the party got smoked. There's no other way to put it. They went from 55 seats to seven seats, they lost official party status, and they haven't won it back since. In last year's election, Doug Ford's Conservatives won another majority, the NDP finished second, and the Liberals gained one seat for a total of eight. This is a party that governed the province from 2003 to 2018. It is hard to imagine a bigger fall from grace. It's also hard to imagine a tougher job than trying to put the pieces back together again. To bring the party back from a distant third, to run against one of the country's toughest campaigners, and to try and offer a vision that can unite downtown Toronto progressives the rural small seat conservatives, and the suburban centrists, all of whom want different things. Last week, though, the first person to sign up for that gig announced his intention to try it, so we had to ask him. How exactly do you rebuild a broken party? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is the Member of Parliament for Beaches East York. We are talking to him today because he has recently volunteered for one of the toughest jobs in Canadian politics. He recently announced his intention to run for leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. A bit of background, the Ontario Liberal Party once ran the province for a decade and a half, not all that long ago, but today, Nate, they don't even have official party status.
1: They don't. But if you remember 10 years ago at the federal level, the Liberal Party was in third place. We had a really frustrating conservative majority government that motivated me to leave law for politics. And all the same motivations apply to the provincial level right now. And that's where I think I can make the biggest difference.
0: Before we talk about that, while I've got you here, I should point out that you are at least for now still my member of parliament. So I want to ask you, um, Canadians don't often get one-on-one time with their own MPs. When they do, What should they ask you? What are the toughest or maybe just most effective questions you've gotten from constituents?
1: Honestly, the most effective advocacy is less about pointed one-on-one interactions in a single moment of time, but it's about relationship building. The people who are most effective are those who have educated me on topics that they really care about, explain why they're passionate about a topic, and then reiterated that support. They check in six months later, they see me at an event, and there's a friendly relationship that's built, and and they constantly see themselves as an educator, ensuring that I understand the file, and then I'm ready to advocate on the file.
0: Do you have constituents that you go to regularly for certain files?
1: Definitely, yeah. So, and over time, there are people you build relationships with who have expertise in in a range of different issues that are relevant to federal politics, and I... I was a lawyer before politics, and I don't consider myself an expert in, in anything. I'm a pretty good advocate, all things considered. So to be the best advocate I can be, it depends upon building relationships and leaning on experts.
0: So before we talk about what's next for you, I want to ask, as you mentioned uh, just a minute ago, you know, you joined the Liberal Party for the 2015 election, uh, which was a watershed moment for them. It's been a long eight years. Um, how do you feel about leaving now, and and how do you feel about— the tone of federal politics now compared to when you jumped into it?
1: So on the question of whether I feel good about leaving now, overall, yes, I feel like I've made a huge difference in many ways over the last seven and a half years as, as an elected official for Beaches East York. And whether it is a stronger climate action, whether it is addressing the opioid crisis, whether it is support for pediatric cancer research, privacy protections, animal welfare, increasing benefits for workers, I can run down a long list where I think my fingerprints are all over helping to shape the government's agenda. Uh, it's not been perfect and the record's not perfect, but over, overwhelmingly, I see positive progress in a number of different areas that are really important. I also look at the provincial level and, and and major frustrations, the lack of competence, the lack of compassion, the lack of integrity, the values that I want to see in our politics, and I want to deliver on those values. Now, in terms of the tone, I, I do worry in leaving federal politics. We have a conservative party right now that I think is flaming, inflaming some of the f- anger all over again that that, that can be really destructive in, in more partisan politics. And I, I do worry about that level of divisiveness in our politics and that people don't see... People don't see politics as a, as how I see it, really, which is it's the most important way to make a difference. It's, it's a noble enterprise to work on behalf of your neighbors and, and constituents, and and to deliver in the public interest as a trustee in the public interest. And I worry that when it becomes about personal attacks, that when it when it you, see, you know anyone tunes into question period, and, and I, it's it's a really corrosive sort of culture at the moment, mm. and it, it's problematic because people don't see politics as a, as a place to trust and a place to make a difference.
0: I will ask you this question in as nonpartisan a way that I can. Um, one of the complaints we hear from people on the left and the right of various issues on this podcast is, the lack of transparency from government, especially uh, compared to what I think the government projected in 2015. I know that you have uh, not in the past been afraid to be a little bit outspoken in terms of the way uh, the government is acting. How do you feel about the fact that that's the biggest like, nonpartisan complaint on every issue, is that we just don't hear enough. It's not open enough.
1: I think that's a fair complaint in many ways. So we promise to be the most open and honest and transparent government in Canadian history. I have said this before, but I think we have failed to live up live up to the expectations we set for ourselves on that front. You look at democratic reform more broadly and accountability was a big part of that, that level of transparency, access to information reform, that was a big part of it. We, we did deliver some reforms, improve the system in some ways, but but not enough. And, and it's still a broken system in many ways. If you talk to any serious journalists out there who access the system on a regular basis, yes. you look at the promise around electoral reform, we burn that to the ground in a really unceremonious way. Uh, and then you look at the promise of freer votes in the House of Commons, there, I I would say, you know, I've taken the the Prime Minister up on that promise. And there has been a level of accountability from the backbench. There has been a usefulness to committee work, working across party lines to deliver change at committee in a way that we haven't seen from all past parliaments. So I would say there's been some positive progress, but overwhelmingly, I think there's fair criticism. I I would say there's still a major difference when I look at, and I'll use two examples, there's this big contract with Volkswagen in St. Thomas. And as an industry committee, conservatives asked for that contract to be public. And there was a process we put in place as a committee to make sure we could all scrutinize that contract it, in camera because of some you know, confidential information. But opposition MPs have an opportunity to scrutinize that contract in full. Hmm. Whereas you look at the Therm Spa contract at the provincial level, and there's been complete stonewalling. So I, I, I do think the government can unquestionably do better. I I think it's even worse at the provincial level when it comes to that question of transparency and integrity. But uh, but yeah, I'm not going to go to the wall defending the delivery on those promises because I I don't think we've delivered as much as we should have.
0: You've alluded now a couple of times to why you decided to run uh, for the Ontario Liberal leadership. Before you get into why, can you just take me into the moment that you actually fully decided to commit to this path? Where were you? When was it? What were you thinking?
1: There was no single moment because I woke up in June after a really devastating provincial election for the second time. And we'd been successful locally. Mary Martin McMahon won a, a closely contested campaign. We were all in her corner helping her out. And it was exciting to see her win. And then you look around the rest of the province and it was devastating. And so waking up the day after, I thought, Okay, I am was turning 38 mid-June. I have seven and a half years of experience under my belt as an elected official, not only helping to shape the government's agenda, I mentioned a few ways, but also, you know, taking the prime minister up on that promise of doing politics differently, not always agreeing, working across the aisle in a more serious way, speaking my mind at, 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 when given the opportunity. And so I, I do think there's a track record that I can lean on now, whereas in 2015, I was promising sort of, you know, put your trust, put your hope in me. But I, I didn't have the same track record I could point to. I also have a track record of winning elections and building a really strong political organization. And so with all that, I thought I, don't, I have no connection to what came before. There's a huge opportunity to to build something here and, and to deliver that generational and grassroots renewal that I think the party and the province needs. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I didn't just jump into it in June. <laughs> I said I was seriously exploring it. And I was asked in September at a caucus retreat in New Brunswick about this. And I said, look, I'm, I'm interested. I think I can make a big difference. I'm only going to do this if I can build a team that reflects the diversity and geographic diversity of this province. And so I started in October, seriously traveling the province. I've been over 55 ridings now. And a, a few weeks ago, I was in Timmins and I, I was talking about the potential of running. And it became very apparent at that time, the way I was talking and just self that sort of self reflection, I I wasn't thinking about running anymore. I wasn't exploring a run anymore. I, I was committed. This I'm I'm I knew at that point I, this is what I'm going to do. I've traveled enough of the province. The feedback's been better than I expected. We've built a really strong team. It's going to get stronger, and, and this is where we can make the biggest difference.
0: We don't usually interview campaigning politicians. I guess technically you're not campaigning yet, but aspiring leaders uh, on this show. The thing about your situation that fascinates me, and I mentioned it off the top, is the Liberals are barely a factor in Ontario right now. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying it's the, this is the way it is. And what's interesting to me about that is, you know, you're part of whatever its level of popularity currently, a pretty successful uh, federal governing party. How do you rebuild uh, a party in the situation the Ontario Liberals are from the ground up? Like, where do you start?
1: Well, I don't think there's any substitute for building relationships, rebuilding a more grassroots sense of volunteerism to the party, bringing people back into the party who haven't been involved in the, quite the same way over the last number of years and the last couple of cycles, and bringing new people into the party. And, and I think there are, are many lessons to be learned from the federal rebuild around that sense of generational renewal, that sense of positive politics, that sense of really ambitious, what can we, what, what can we do? What kind of a difference can we make together? And a really positive a really positive lens about what politics can and should be. I mean, we, we talked about the divisiveness at the federal level, and I mentioned at the outset, I see politics for all of its faults as the single most important way to make a difference in the lives of those around us. That's why I am so committed to making a difference through politics and to spending my time doing this. And I think if people want better from politics, as I do the answer is participation. And I just have to take that message on the road as I ha- as I have been doing. Uh, that's on the one hand, just sort of the grassroots rebuilding of it. And I think you've got to articulate a really optimistic sense of both values and also how you address big challenges in this province. So it's not enough to just say, Doug Ford... This Doug Ford that and, and and I can run down a list whether it's the therm spa whether it's the greenbelt whether it's housing or healthcare and the incompetence I I you know we I could spend a whole episode probably talking about the failing what I see as the failings but I think it's really important if I want to deliver a positive message I have to say. He, Here are the values around competence, seriousness, thoughtfulness, fairness and compassion, honesty, integrity that I care about and want to deliver. And then whether it's access to a family doctor, whether it is mental health and addictions, whether it's quality public education, whether it is housing, 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 you know, you run down the list of issues that matter in people's lives. We've got to address those issues in, in a serious, credible way.
0: How do you get started from where you are right now? And here, I'm not talking like all that stuff that you just said is is great and aspirational, and you know everybody uh, wanting to see a, a difference from Doug Ford hopes you can accomplish them. What do you do practically, like ah, now between yeah. now and and the uh, and the convention or the leadership vote? Like,
1: how do you actually achieve that? Okay, so. It is not dissimilar to when I started out in 2013 running in a nomination. I was 29 at the time. I didn't have, no one was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, You're the guy. We're going to make you the candidate. I, I, had to, I had to fight for it and I had to earn it. And I earned it by sitting around kitchen tables, by making a million and one phone calls, and by expressing to people building relationships and expressing to people, here's what I want to do. Here's what I think I can accomplish. Come build this with me. And we signed up about 850 people in the course of that nomination over an excruciating long period of time. And we've got until September 11th right now to sign up as many members as we can to join the party, to to vote in this process, to help me become the leader. And so this is about traveling the province and building that membership, rebuilding volunteers and volunteerism, getting people involved through those conversations and relationships. And then I would say doing a lot of media. This is about also becoming a, a more household name, and I'm I'm known in a better way across the East End of Toronto. I've got to be known in the same way, and I think seem to be bringing that sense of serious leadership that that I hope and I, and I do think many people in, in the East End see. I want everyone across Ontario to see, and so it's it's there's as I say, there's no substitute for the hard work. You, you got to sit around those kitchen tables, be in those rooms, delivering speeches, go ask ask questions of others about what they care about, answer questions about what you're going to do and 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 be anywhere and everywhere and, and re-engage absolutely everywhere you can.
0: Before we talk about Doug Ford, I'm going to ask you to criticize the party you are now attempting to lead. Um, <laughs> how, how did the Ontario Liberals find themselves in this position? Uh, what do you think went wrong? Well, I mean, you must have studied this. What's your diagnosis?
1: So others have smartly diagnosed this, and, and there was a full debrief that people crisscrossed the province talking to riding associations. That any, any government over time accrues barnacles and 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 their increased challenges. No, no government governs forever. And so I think that was just simply part of the equation that McGuinty win that era had come to an end. I- it came to an end in uh, quite a spectacular fashion. Though. Most <laughs> parties
0: don't. Most parties don't fall that far, especially parties which, to be fair, have a very uh, long-standing brand, like the Ontario Liberals.
1: That's right. I, I don't think the brand is. As challenged, though, if you look at this past election, 24 or so percent of people voted for the for the Liberal Party. The efficiency of the vote was quite poor, though. And so we only have six, six and a half percent of the seats in the legislature. So, you know, we could talk about electoral reform. But on the question of what went wrong, especially this past election, I've intimated in some ways the answer already. But I mean, I think we were the not Doug Ford party. Hmm. The choice is yours. I don't think we stood on our own two feet. I think we seeded an economic agenda in a serious way way. And that's a problem. We've got to be the party that wants to build things. And we've got to articulate a a sense of purpose around building infrastructure, building housing and and delivering a strong economic message. Uh, And we've got to make sure that we don't you know, Buckaride might have pulled well at one particular time, but it's not a serious, credible policy when you speak to experts. And so, we, we we do have to deliver a level of seriousness that we don't see in politics, and we have to embody that seriousness. I think that's actually one thing that we are going to. If if I am successful in leading this party, we are going to. There's going to be a really sharp contrast, obviously with with Ford, but there's also going to be a really sharp contrast with. The NDP and Greens, just around the seriousness and credibility of the plans that we put together hmm. to deliver on some shared priorities. And so I, I do think there were some challenges there. And then and then let's be honest, this wasn't a change election, in fairness. Uh, people were coming out of the pandemic, it was warm and people didn't want an election. And Ford was the front runner, and people shrugged their shoulders and many people didn't participate. So I think there's a you need a sense of excitement and 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 real generational renewal and excitement away from, you know, we we were running a cabinet minister from the Wynn McGinty era and people felt it was a bit more of the same. So I think we got a break from the past in a serious way on that front. And then lastly, it's about rebuilding that sense of grassroots and that sense of volunteerism, because over time, and all parties, I think, suffer this fate in some ways, but people leave, they go back, they go to the private sector and, staff do the jobs that volunteers tend to do at the beginning of any political rebuilding. And so that sense of volunteerism had atrophied and and we need to rebuild it. So let's turn to Ford. We've spent a lot of
0: time around uh, this podcast studio reporting on the Fords. Um, We did an eight-part series on uh, the saga of Rob Ford. Doug was obviously a big part of that. One of the things I've always thought uh, when studying them is a lot of progressive people and even progressive politicians uh, look at Doug Ford, and they did this with Rob Ford, too, and they wonder how can this guy possibly succeed because he seems to be so antithetical to what they believe in. um, But obviously he does. What are those people missing about Ford and how he campaigns?
1: Oh, I'm not at all surprised at their success. Are they serious people that should be in the business of governing? Not at all. But they are remarkably good campaigners. And I'll use an example. My brother called Rob Ford when Rob Ford was the mayor. My brother is not overly political in any way. And Rob Ford called him back. They talked about the Leafs for 15, 20 minutes. And my brother liked the guy. And, and wanted to vote for the guy. And I think that personal touch, that retail sense of politics is massively important. And, you know, you need a bit of Rob Ford's retail and you need Stéphane Dion's policy intellectualism. And the perfect politician is both. And, and you know, some people have one, some people have the other. But I think if you really want the most serious... You know, whether it's premier, whether it's prime minister, this serious leadership that I think we deserve, you, you got to have a bit of both. And I, I think people underestimate. Doug Ford, the underest, the underestimate Justin Trudeau at the federal level for the same reason that ability to connect with people. But when Mm. Doug Ford says, "I'm not so conservative," I'm Doug Ford. I I mean, I I hope I can operate in a similar space by saying, "Look, yeah, we do need to be less partisan. We do need to work across the aisle to get things done." Doug Ford is a caricature of that, though, and he might be you know a friendly uncle when he swallows a bee or he gets a bad haircut, and 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 he's charming enough when all that happens. But the province is 14 and a half million people. We have major challenges, and we deserve a level of competence, compassion, integrity, level seriousness that I don't see. Do you see it? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, we're, we're not picking a real estate agent here. We're picking a premier.
0: How do you plan to take that message to Ford should you win the leadership um, without being dragged down into the muck? Because I can already see, listen, I know Beach is East York. We are East End Toronto Liberals. There's a really lovely latte place down the street from me. You know exactly what's coming for you. How do you fight back against that without making uh, yourself just the anti-Ford?
1: Partly by building a really serious team all across the province. I've done six tours of Northern Ontario. We've got a really strong Northern team. I've made a point of building everywhere I can outside of the GTA and having a really strong set of voices who are going to build this with me. Uh, part of it's about, as I say, delivering a serious incredible credible plan. There are people who vote for me in Beaches East York who are progressive, conservative minded. They don't like Justin. They don't like all the spending, but they really care about climate change. And they want a serious, credible party to deliver on climate change and there's no serious credible party other than the federal liberals on that file. And we need to occupy the same space. When you've got young people who are really frustrated about housing, we've got to own that file entirely. And then we, look, there are sharp contrasts that we've got to draw because, you know, when I, whether it's my father-in-law who is a retired farmer in Cam or whether it's my former law colleagues who are on Bay Street, Whether or not they are always liberal is beside the point. They are frustrated with the lack of competence and the lack of seriousness at Queen's Park. And we need to give them a strong, serious alternative. And we got to stand our own two feet. It can't all be about attacking forward. Look, I, anyone who's seen me at committee with Facebook or Pornhub or Rogers or Bell or the grocery store CEOs, I, I can be a commercial litigation lawyer and cross-examining and elbows up and all that. But I think a lot of this is about delivering a really positive alternative and a really serious, credible alternative.
0: Okay, be positive for a second. You're looking at Ontario right now. You've obviously, as you mentioned, traversed the whole province fairly recently. What do you see that it can be that it's not right now
1: i see a really interesting opportunity based on how common the issues are across this province and there are many regional divides you look at northern ontario and are the transportation issues the same as peel no congestion matters in peel and in northern ontario they talk about expanding highways and if one highway goes down they can't they can't move around at all. And so the the accessibility issues are even more acute and and unique in northern Ontario. But what I've been struck by in my travels is how common the challenges are. And housing comes up absolutely everywhere. And access to family health teams comes up everywhere. And whether it's here on Bruce or Beaches East York, people care about the environment. I was in Dufferin Caladin last night. They they're they're really worried about the green belt. When you look at the idea of helping our neighbors. I I don't think this is a, you know, whether or not one strolls down Main Street here in Beaches East York and sips a latte or whether one is at the Wyoming Lions Club, people care about helping their neighbors. And I think there's just a huge opportunity to rebuild bridges, rebuild common ground, and to build a team focused on those big challenges that we all face. Mental health and addictions, the mayor of Timmins, the mayor of Sault Ste. Marie raised it as their top issues. Outgoing counselor in Windsor raised this as they said the party needs to move back to the center. And I said, OK, what's your top issue? Mental health and addiction, PEDS. Hmm. And the former executive director of the London Economic Development Corporation, I want to talk about economic development in southwestern Ontario. He want to talk about mental health and addictions. I, th- I think there's just a huge opportunity to say, here are the big challenges facing so many of us all across this province, no matter where we live. Big communities, small communities, north and south. And, and let's address these challenges together. We don't have time to get into every big challenge and every big policy, but I do want to ask you,
0: because it's the one that comes up constantly when we talk about it on this show, uh, housing and tangentially to that, just the affordability of the province in general, what do you have in your policy bag that you think can actually rein that in?
1: So at a high level, it's interesting. I, for a time, thought Doug Ford was really headed in the right direction. And it's an odd thing to say, but they set a really ambitious target of one and a half million homes over 10 years. They put a really smart expert task force together that made a series of smart recommendations. And then they walked away from it all. Hmm. And so I think there's a real opportunity here to pick up those recommendations and say, instead of encouraging sprawl and building over the green belt, we can end restrictive zoning. We can... You know Toronto just did a good thing, but there are many other good things that both Toronto and other municipalities can do. And end restrictive zoning, add the gentle density and, and the density we need from a market basis. That's one. Get governments out of the way and end barriers so we can build the the supply we need from from a market perspective. Two, get governments back in the game on public social co op housing and and delivering those support for for those in need in a deeply affordable basis. And there's some small things in my in, in our riding, You look at Metrolinx just sold land right close to the ghost station, mm-hmm. and zero percent affordability commitment. Hmm. If that was a federal or a municipal government and they were selling off public land, there would be a 20 or 30 percent affordability commitment and there's zero percent. So the federal, the provincial government, there's small things around the margins that could make a huge difference there. Uh, and lastly, I think uh, overwhelmingly, we need to treat housing as, as a home first and an investment second. And it's look, population growth, especially on the immigration side, being what it is and, and being really important on, on the economic growth side, it's really important that all governments lean in at the provincial level, municipal level, and with federal support through CMHC to build the housing we need, to build the infrastructure we need to keep up with population growth. And if I am lucky enough to lead this party and, and certainly lucky enough to be premier, we are going to deliver on ending restrictive zoning and building supply in a way that this government isn't. And, and I think other governments are really showing the way. I think BC as a provincial government is doing some things that, that we should be copying. The last thing I'll ask you um,
0: is about your personal style. As we mentioned, you know, as a backbencher, uh, you've been known... As outspoken, you've had private members, bills, you've disagreed with your own party. You even did it a little earlier in this interview. Uh, You're now running to be the person that has to wrangle the herd and keep them in line and uh, be the leader who can uh, convince a coalition to follow you. How do you change your style to be uh, less an outspoken uh, maverick type uh, attitude and more uh, follow
1: me? I've thought a lot about this, and I was 416 caucus chair for a time, and when we were delivering a budget submission, was everything in that submission that I wanted to be in there? No. Were there some things in there that I didn't fully think should be in there? Yes. And that's the nature of compromise when you're wrangling, in that case, 24 members of parliament to all agree and and, and find consensus. So that there will be a bit of that that is required, there's no question. I think, though, there's a really important emphasis. You define common issues and team and unity by platform promises and where there are confidence or budget matters. And beyond that, you've got to empower your team as far as it goes in your caucus and your candidates to have the freedom to add new issues to the agenda, help shape the agenda on behalf of their communities, be strong voices on behalf of their communities, and to disagree at times. And I, and I, and I hope if in, in any party that I lead, in any government that I lead, people will have feel that freedom. And and I think it's not only about having sort of a rule that you've got in place, but also changing the culture. So you really do encourage others to embrace what I've been able to embrace over the last seven and a half years. I think that's how democracy ought to work. I also think, and this is more selfish, I think it's a really good way to build a a serious team. If I'm going to ask you or other people to give up pay, give up family, give up privacy, to leave whatever they're doing for politics to make what I think would be a much bigger difference, are they going to do it if, I tell them exactly what to say, exactly how to vote and exactly how to act. I I think not that you've got to allow people to be their own person, to have their own voice on behalf of their community. If you want serious people to leave what they're doing and make a difference with me in politics. This was great. And uh, I wish you luck. It ain't going to be easy. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yes, it won't be easy, but uh, it will be rewarding no matter what.
0: Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, MP for Beaches East York, and the first official candidate for the Ontario Liberal Party leadership. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can write to us. The email address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us at 416-935-5935 and leave us a voicemail. You can listen to this podcast anywhere you like, including on our website, including in podcast players, and including smart speakers by saying, play the Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.